Today and tomorrow, our preacher comes from my old stomping grounds, which is the Diocese of South Carolina, the Reverend Dr. Kendall Harmon. He did his undergraduate work at Bowdoin College uh, in Maine, seminary at Regent College, Vancouver, and also Trinity, uh, Ambridge, Pennsylvania, in, 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 uh, in Ambridge. Did his PhD work at Oxford uh, in England. He is living and doing ministry now in Young's Island in South Carolina. He's now the canon theologian for the Diocese of South Carolina and also the editor of Anglican Digest, which is one of the uh, most widely circulated publications in the entire Anglican Communion. He's married to his wife Elizabeth. They have children, three children, and as I understand it, one on the way. Is that correct, Ken? No, I'm well. Okay. <clears throat> Kendall will preach to us after we sing stanza one and three of hymn number 657. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Then Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, I am, fear not. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you in the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O oh man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, the Word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you'll agree with me that unexpected events in our lives are sometimes a great revelation of our character. Someone has said, it's only when you suddenly turn on the light in the cellar that you discover that the rats are there. Events can happen all of a sudden when you don't expect them, and how you react is a very interesting indication of what's actually down there in your heart. It can be good things, or it can be not so good things. Let me just give you two quick examples from our lives. As you heard, I'm the editor of the Anglican Digest. We have a saying in our family, sometimes it only takes one phone call. Well, if you want the short version of how I became editor of the Anglican Digest, the phone rang, I answered the phone, the person said, we've had a problem, there's been a challenge, and we've been praying about it, and we'd like you to be the editor. I was doing something else. Nothing could have been further from my mind than even thinking about thinking about that possibility. And yet, boom, one phone call, 
and there it was. That's a more positive example for me. Let me give you a more negative example for me. A true story, I once preached on Christmas Eve, where I am, as Frank said, down on Young's Island in South Carolina, and I preached on um, our earth as the visited planet and made a big deal about the fact that God came to visit us and so no matter where we were, no matter what our situation, we needed to be hospitable to whoever entered our lives because they were visiting us and we could minister to them in Jesus' name. And on my way home, literally, uh, no lights on most of the streets I was traveling because it's very rural South Carolina on the way back to where I live. With no warning whatsoever, a man walked in front of my car, almost hit him. He was working for the circus, he was drunk, he was out of sorts, and there I was. Having just preached about no matter who it is, no matter what situation, I had a less than happy and less than well circus worker in my midst. What was I going to do? Well, it was an interesting revelation, and I was not expecting it. I want to consider this story with you for just a moment from the Gospels about the disciples and an unexpected occurrence. You heard me read the story. Jesus has just finished the feeding of the 5,000. He's gone to pray, and he's left them in a boat, and they go out on the sea. I want to make sure to highlight for you, before we get to what happened, that the disciples have a reason for the way in which they respond. They are in the midst of great vulnerability. Did you catch all the details of the story? They're by themselves. They're a significant way away from land. Those of you who know small bodies of water and how weather can change dramatically, that doesn't make you feel safe when you're a long way off from the shore. They have a wind against them. And as if all that isn't enough, we're told the interesting detail that it's the fourth watch of the night, which for our purposes means it is between 4 and 6 a.m. Anybody want to trade places with the disciples? Bad weather, far from shore, by yourself between 4 and 6 in the morning when you can hardly see your hand in front of your face and a figure of some kind comes walking toward them. And what interests me this morning for our purposes is what Jesus says. I choose to translate it with three two-word phrases in English. They are the exact duplication of what Jesus says. Take courage, I am, fear not. Amazing. What a remarkable thing for Jesus to say, because these are his disciples. He's been pouring his life into these individuals for a considerable period of time, and he's going to leave them with the responsibility of building up the early church and the kingdom of God in his name. And he says, in the midst of all of this vulnerability, take courage, I am, fear not. Let me take them in reverse order. Fear not speaks to an experience that all of us have all the time. Both my parents are teachers. Mom was an English teacher. Dad teaches chemistry. You may know at Southern Methodist University this famous graffiti. We have nothing to fear but F itself. And everybody who is in school has some sense of what it means that you've got an exam. Are you going to be ready for your exam? What kind of grade did you get on your exam? But there are other fears that are more haunting. Like, what do you do when somebody walks in front of your car? And what do you do when you get a phone call and somebody you care about is sick, maybe even sick unto death, etc., etc., etc.? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says that last. In the middle, he says, I am. One of those great moments in the history of the Bible where 
the words of Jesus echo back through the whole history of salvation. You can think of the the Bible like an open piano. I grew up taking piano lessons. It was a long time before I saw the way a piano really worked when you opened it up. And when you strike a key, no matter where it is on the piano, if it's open, it actually reverberates all the way up and down the instrument. Well, this phrase, I am, harkens immediately back in Jesus' mind and in the mind of the disciples to that scene in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses has an encounter with a being he's never encountered before who says, take off the shoes from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And in the midst of this conversation, Moses says, well, who should I say? You are. What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. In other words, God is the God who is with his people no matter what. Here is Jesus in the midst of an apparent panic situation. And he echoes back to the fact that the God who was with the covenant people at the beginning is with the covenant people at this moment and always will be with the covenant people. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, and godparents, it's one of the most important things you can ever say to children and godchildren. I say it to my children all the time. No matter where you are in the future, you're going to be in a situation sometime in the coming year that's going to bring unexpected stress to your life. And I'm here to tell you ahead of time, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I know that God is there. And that is something that we need to know and avail ourselves of. But what is remarkable to me about this story is that Jesus says first what he says first and what he chooses to say. Take courage. Are you kidding? A long way from the shore, in the dark, with bad weather. Take courage? Jesus had high expectations for his disciples. Take courage? This doesn't seem like an occasion for courage. They're terrified. Not just afraid, but afraid for their lives. They have no control. They have no sense of stability. And he says, I want my followers, no matter what the situation, to be courageous. The great Yale lecture series on preaching, one time had Phillips Brooks, the Episcopal Bishop of Massachusetts, give a lecture. He said this about courage. Courage is the indispensable requisite of any true ministry. If you are afraid of men and a slave to their opinion, go and do something else. Go and make shoes to fit them. Go and paint pictures which you do not know are any good, but which suit their bad taste. But do not keep on all your life preaching sermons which shall say, not what God sent you to declare, but what they hire you to say. Be courageous. Be independent. Yes, exactly. It's a tall order. Well, why do I start here as the first Lenten speaker in 2012 at the Advent? I start here for one reason and one reason only. I was very struck yesterday. I don't know if you have this experience, but I do all the time. You listen to the, to the liturgy and all of a sudden words grab you in a particular way that never have before. There I was in Ash Wednesday yesterday, and these are the words that grab my eye. The need which all Christians have continually to renew their repentance and faith. Let me read it again from yesterday's liturgy. The need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. Do you know one of the reasons why we fail to understand the depth of our need for renewal of our repentance and our faith? It's because we don't understand the depth of our need. Do you know why we don't understand the depth of our need? 
Because we often use the wrong standard. It's a cheap trick. Kids do it all the time. I'm taller than you, and you use a small ruler (laughs) that you've set up, right? It all depends on the measuring stick. I love the story. My father grew up in New York City. I love the story of the hedge fund guy who finally made it big from Eastern Europe, came over, made it big, and finally got his mom in her late years to come over and visit him for the first time to New York City, takes her out in the Hudson Harbor, New York City, in his yacht, and at the select time, beautiful day, goes underneath the ship and puts on a captain's uniform and a captain's hat and comes out and looks at his mother and says to his mother, Look, Mom, I'm a captain. And as only mothers can do, she looks at him and she pauses for a moment and she says, Son, to me you're a captain and to you you're a captain. But to captains, you are no captain. (laughs) And there isn't a person here that doesn't understand what she's talking about. Think about the standard for discipleship that Jesus is setting in this passage. In the midst of immense vulnerability... Not fear not first, as impressive as that is, since we're so instinctively afraid. Not even I am first, but be courageous. What a high standard. I don't know how you respond to that, but my response is, wow, I am miles and miles and miles from that. Which is my point exactly. I want to use those three statements to drive you again to the foot of the cross as to drive myself there also. To realize afresh today the depth of our need. To make sure that we're using God's standard and not our standards. You and I, alack and alas, are really apologies for human beings. You know that, right? You and I are apologies for human beings. True humanness is Jesus Christ embodied. That's the standard. That's what a real human life rightly lived looked like. And measuring myself and ourselves by that standard, I'm with the mom on the boat. To captains, I am no captain. I invite all of us today to be reminded of the need which we have to continually renew our repentance and faith by realizing God's standards are higher than our standards and realizing afresh our need for God's mercy and thereby realizing afresh the depth of the mercy that is extended to us in the gospel this Lent. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be amongst you and remain with you this afternoon and forever. Amen.